Good morning. I'm Craig Finnestead, one of the pastors here at the Water's Edge. Thanks for being with us uh, this morning. Um, if you're new to us, if you're a guest, thanks for worshiping with us. We hope you come back and uh, do so again. We'd love to get to meet you and hear uh, part of your story, and we'd love to have you be our uh, church family. Um, so we're in a series called Road Trip. It's Paul's uh, road trips and sea trips throughout the Mediterranean uh, during the time of his ministry. So last week we started off with missionary journey number one. This would have been in 47 to uh, 48 AD. He had to cut this one short because he wasn't uh, feeling the best. Um, This road trip, specifically the first missionary journey, it was a lot like life. It had some good successes and it had some uh, failures and and challenges as well. So Barnabas at the time was his uh, traveling companion for journey number one. So if you look at map, uh, if we look at the map, here's uh, where he started. He started in Antioch on the right-hand side of the screen where the gold thing is. They would have went through uh, Cyprus. Um, so that's modern-day Turkey, like up in the continent up there. You can see that most of the travels were uh, through Galatia. He got to Derby, turns around, um, basically backtracked, but they didn't go through Cyprus on the way back. They just took the direct route. So then in uh, 49, after they got back, uh, there was a group of Jews who were meeting in uh, Jerusalem. So if Jerusalem were on that map, it would be at the bottom right, um, but it'd be like a foot or two down. So Jerusalem is 300 miles south of Antioch. Uh, So what they were arguing about is whether people need to be circumcised or not. Um, So they were arguing that uh, circumcision was a requirement for uh, salvation. So Paul and Barnabas, they took the 300-mile journey to the south to Jerusalem. And uh, for all you church historians out there, you know that um, this would be called the Council of Jerusalem. So they're arguing whether the circumcision is required for the Gentiles or not. Uh, Peter's the first one to take the floor. So Peter was uh, with Jesus for 15 years. I'm sorry, Peter was with Jesus for three years. This is 15 years after uh, Jesus would have been uh, dead and resurrected. So um, Peter gives quite the speech here. So Peter says, uh, and he's doing um, against circumcision and for grace. So he says, God knows the human heart, uh, and he showed approval of their hearts by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did for us. In cleansing their hearts by faith, so Peter's a Jew, this would be the Gentiles. The Gentiles basically like means you know anyone who's not a Jew, in this specific case, the Greeks. In cleansing their hearts uh, by faith, God made no distinction between them and us. Remind me to have our accountant pay the light bill tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> I can see fine. It's just I don't know if you can see me. And I'm actually not, not that much to look at anyway, so maybe it does work. Um, but if we could turn the lights back on, I would appreciate that. Um, thank you. <laughs> so I totally forgot where I was. And I was like five minutes over at the first service, so this is not helping the cause any. Um, so in cleansing their hearts by faith, God made, uh, so listen to this, this applies to all of us. So just think of whoever you are. Um, God made no distinction between them and us. So, you know, God doesn't care. Like you're God's child, you're his creation. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek or a, a Norwegian or a Central American. Like, you know, God makes no distinction. Um, it makes no sense. Uh, it makes no sense to me that, that some of you are, are testing God by burdening his disciples with a load that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to carry. 
No, we all believe that we are liberated uh, through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Uh, they will be rescued in the same way. So here, Peter is making the argument that uh, circumcision is not necessary, not because Jesus has come and freed us from the burdens of the law that were justified by faith. So Peter basically said here, okay, I, I was with the guy three years. Um, I never once saw him like exclude anybody. You know, he came to the world to heal us by like removing these burdens and forgiving us of our sins. So do you really seriously want to go back to the old way? Like, you know, where we had to do the circumcision thing and, um, you know, do you want us to like try to do something we've never been able to do before, like be 100% like faithful to the law? And are we going to expect something of the Gentiles that we're not able to pull off ourselves? Like, that's what he's saying. So they made like the logical uh, cognitive case and then Paul and Barnabas start to talk, and they're going to make a more, more a pull to emotion. So after Peter got done with the speech, uh, in verse 12, there was, there was dead silence. Um, no one said a word. With the room quiet, Barnabas and Paul reported matter-of-factly on the miracles and wonders God had done among other nations through the ministry. So now he's going back to missionary journey number one. He says, like, we saw all these crazy cool things. Like, God did all this among them. And like now you're really thinking about like making them become circumcised. Uh, the silence deepened. Uh, you could hear a pen drop. So the council decided unanimously that circumcision uh, wasn't needed and that all believers no longer lived under the burden of God's law, but they lived under the, um, they lived under the umbrella of his grace. So Paul and, Ant- uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas would have went back to Antioch and they told the new church... Um, what the decision was, and uh, everyone was pleased with this one, especially the men, I'm guessing. Um, the rest of you will get that later today, and you're going to think it was really funny, but um, for those of you who laugh, congratulations, that's a really high-level joke there. And some of you are saying, what in the heck is he talking about? I should have been paying attention. <laughs> so I want to take a little break here, because this is a sermon that eventually gets to suffering. Um, and... What we learned like, just from this early text is that we don't have to work like, through our pain all by ourselves. We don't have to be perfect in our healing. God is, God is with us. God is present with us uh, in our pain. And one of the possible gifts of pain that, uh, or one of the possible gifts that pain gives to us is like a greater awareness of the presence of God. And we see that Paul you know, experienced that like in the first missionary journey on the way back to Jerusalem down to Jerusalem, on the way back to Antioch. So I got a, a poll real quick. Um, who thinks that uh, all Christians get along all the time? Anybody? Like, does anyone have conflict in your life? Um, so conflict is going to happen regardless of uh, who you believe in and what you believe in or who you don't believe in and what you don't believe in. So does anyone remember last week during the first journey, um, it was... Uh, Paul and Barnabas, but then there was another person that was with them and he deserted them. Do you guys remember his name? Yeah, so it's John Mark. Um, so here was the disagreement then between Barnabas and, and Paul. Like, these are like the two leaders in the church and they have conflict. It means that the rest of us are not immune from conflict. Like, it's this normal, natural thing. So Barnabas wanted to take John along, uh, the John nickname Mark, but Paul wouldn't have him. Uh, 
He wasn't about to take long a quitter who, as soon as the tough got going, had jumped ship on them in Pamphylia. Tempers flared, and they ended up going their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose uh, Silas and offered up their friends to the grace of the master. They went to Syria and Sicilia, um, and they put grit in those congregations. So there's a lot to be learned here. Um, So somebody was mad at me once. Uh, It was this week. And the crazy thing is I'm married to her. Um, (laughs) So this happens. It happens to families. It happens to friends. It happens to people in churches. It happens to people we work with. It happens to people in our neighborhoods. So you have to know this. Conflict is inevitable. So how we respond to that conflict is going to be a choice. And that choice is going to be really one of the most important choices uh, that you make in your life. So like a second interlude here for a sermon on suffering is uh, much of the suffering that we go through in life is because of our relationships. So I had two pastoral conversations uh, yesterday. I didn't know on Friday that I was going to have either of them. They were just uh, text messages and eventually phone calls. So both of these uh, were relational. Uh, People were suffering relationally. Both were emergencies. Both were because people were going through uh, great pain. They were both very tough situations, and they still are. Conflict between uh, two people. Now, what I hopefully got them to at least start thinking about was um, to discover for themselves that winning the argument was not the goal here. Because you can win an argument and and lose a relationship. Um, Being right was not the goal. You can convince the other person that you're right. You may or may not be able to do that, but um, the relationship can die as well. So what I talked to them about instead was not winning an argument, but like, what would it look like if you did everything you could do to de-escalate the conflict a little bit? What would it look like um, just to let the other party know that even though you don't agree with them, that you care about them deeply and um, you want to commit toward working sort of, uh, toward some sort of resolution? You know, what would it look like if you just did your absolute best to try to understand the other party, even if you never get to that place of agreement? You know, it's not in the Bible, but my grandpa Adolf had a lot of his own little proverbs, and this isn't his uh, original one, but he would always say this, that uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And what if it would be possible for us to get out ahead in our relationships of of conflict, to be proactive, um, so that we don't have to make like a desperate call on a Saturday and and be reactive maybe even after it's, it's, it's too late? So they've made it up to Antioch, um, They've gone their separate ways at this point. So Paul has a new traveling companion. Barnabas has gone to the south, so Silas is the new one. So we can look at map, uh, look at the map of the entire journeys. Uh, we'll cover all four of these. Uh, the second one is going to be in red, so you can see that they've uh, gone up to Antioch. They will go to uh, Cilicia, which um, that's like where Tarsus is. You see Tarsus on your right-hand side about two-thirds of the way up. That's actually where Paul's originally from, so this would be like you know, going to his hometown. So uh, they picked up Timothy and Lystra. So Lystra is in the green thing. That would be in um, modern-day Turkey, which is also in what we would call Galatia back then. So something happened important here. He picked up Timothy. Timothy was his understudy. Eventually, Timothy would be his uh, right-hand man. Now, most likely, it was Paul's plan just to backtrack the first missionary journey 
um, and do like the uh, blue one in reverse. But all of a sudden what happened was uh, the Holy Spirit had to talk to Paul. So has anyone here ever had like some plans and you thought that was exactly what you're going to do and then like the plans didn't work out quite the way you wanted them to work out and that's what happened to Paul here. So during that night, Paul had a vision of a man um, of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had uh, seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had uh, called us to preach the gospel to them. Now here's the learning. The learning is, like you can put a lot of effort and thought into planning. You can pray about it. you can seek counsel about it. You can um, you know, be pretty confident that this is the path that God is leading you to do, and that's what Paul did on the second missionary journey. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit talks to him, and he has to adapt. So like, here's how this could work for us. Uh, I had planned to play golf on that Saturday morning, or I planned to work in my own yard. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit encountered me, and the Holy Spirit said that... Uh, I should go down with some other people in the church uh, to the Miller Park area and clean up their neighborhood. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we listen and and we're faithful. Some of us, it might be we're we're saving up for a widget and we've wanted this widget for a long time and like this widget might bring us some happiness and then all of a sudden uh, the missionary comes to church and she talks about the water wells in Nicaragua that we're going to build and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit tells you that that widget's actually not that important, and it's just going to take up place in your already cluttered garage, and uh, you get the opportunity to buy some water wells for people that don't have uh, clean and safe and fresh water. Maybe um, it looks a little bit different. Maybe it's, uh, you know, I've always kind of liked to practice Christianity by myself. I think the sermons are kind of cool. I like the environment. Uh, the donuts are awesome. Um, that's going to be church for me. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, no, uh, we really need you to be in like a learning community or a house church or a, a small group. And um, we believe that you can add something to these groups and these groups can add something to you. So the Holy Spirit has given you a detour. Now all of a sudden you find yourself in a group. Like that's what happens when uh, God can get a hold of us. Now, if we go to the next map, this kind of gives us a clearer uh, vision of the second journey. So um, he was in Lystra, so all of a sudden, like, they're headed up Asia Minor. Um, Really, the first big stop is going to be at the far top of your screen on the kind of left-hand side. This is Philippi. So this is going to be, like, the first major stop for Paul. He had traveled a lot here. You know, he walked a lot, and he was in a boat for a long time. So when he got to Philippi, he met a woman whose name was Lydia. We know that Lydia was rich. The Bible doesn't say she was wealthy, but Uh, She was a trader of purple cloth. And uh, if you had access to the purple dye and you were one that uh, sold clothes, you would have been a wealthy person in that uh, society. Now, they also ran to this woman who was a psychic. This uh, was a girl. Um, There's people that made a lot of money off this girl because this girl could, you know, go around and, like, you know, supposedly tell people their fortunes. So have you ever had, like, someone that follows you around and you don't want them following you around? I guess I'm the only one, so that makes me weird. And um, <laughs> so this girl would not leave them alone. They'd be trying to like preach the gospel and like heal people, and she would just like try to refute them, and like she was saying bad things about them. And finally, Paul was so annoyed with her. And the Greek word is actually annoyed; like it means annoyed. Um, that he commanded like these evil spirits to left her to leave her, and they did. 
And all of a sudden, like, she lost all her power. And now you have these guys who were formerly making money off this girl who weren't making money off her anymore. And they were all mad at Paul and Silas, so they gave them the beginning of their life. Um, they threw them before the courts. They were thrown into jail. So um, here's interlude number three on a sermon on suffering. So let's just assume you got beat up and then thrown into jail for something you didn't really do. How do you feel about that? Yeah, probably not the best. Um, so jail is going to be like, like a negative experience for most people. Um, but Paul and Silas, they didn't go there. They did something else. Because they knew that ultimate freedom in life, it had absolutely nothing to do with location. You know, freedom in life, it, it had nothing to do with resources or, or status. And, and it had everything to do with, with, with faithfulness to God. So the scripture doesn't say uh, Paul and Silas were in their uh, small prison cell, um, you know, sweating and licking their wounds and complaining. That's not what they were doing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were, they were singing hymns to God. And all the other uh, prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the, the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Like, I love, I love those words. Everyone's chains came loose. Like, that's, that's like a description for, like, the possibilities of what a, a church can be. We can be uh, free from our sin. We can be free from our compulsions. We can be free from our attachments. And the chains come loose, and, and all of a sudden, we're experiencing freedom. So the jailer, like, saw this. He got saved. He's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what the heck that was, but I want whatever you got. Um, so he played nurse next. The Bible says he bandaged the boys up. Uh, Paul and Silas, they went to his house. They... Uh, baptized the entire clan. And then uh, the jailer was still so pleased, can you hang out with us a little bit longer? So uh, the wife, she cooked up a meal of uh, gyros and couscous, and they ate really well. Seriously, like, I'm trying up here. Like, <laughs> Leander is the one that put this whole sermon series together, and like, it's her idea that we go through these maps and all this kind of stuff, and I'm trying to make this funny, and like, that's funny. Like, if you go to a Greek restaurant, you have gyros and couscous, and I have no idea what they served in Greece like 2,000 years ago. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so then what happens next is really important. So then next, they, uh, they go hang out with Lydia for a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to come back to that, but just remember, they go and hang out with Lydia, and Lydia encouraged them, and they encouraged Lydia. So let's go to the map and uh, continue this journey. I'm going to try to get this done as fast as I can. <laughs> So um, now they're going to, uh, the next big stop is going to be in uh, Thessalonica. That's going to be on their far left. Um, good success there. They, they had a good church going. Um, and here's what I love about this church. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, who were also Jews, along with many God-fearing Greek men. So that's cool. Now we have a church with Jews and Greeks. And then, then it gets even better. Um, and quite a few prominent women. So I love this. This is like an early vision for the inclusivity of the church. It's uh, Jews and Gentiles or Greeks. It's, it's men and women. It's like young and old. It's everybody. Uh, it, it's for all people. Um, now, the evangelists, they kept having trouble with all these governments and you know, religious leaders. And uh, the church was going well, but they were kicked out. And they had to go to their next stop, which you'll see on the map is Berea. So here in Berea, they uh, started another church that was uh, flourishing. Now, 
the leaders in Thessalonica found out about this church in Berea, and they did not want this in their area. So they personally went down to Berea, um, and they took Paul by himself. Um, Timothy and Silas stayed behind at this point. And they took him to Athens, and they say, yeah, good luck here. <laughs> yeah, this is like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, and like these people are smart. They're not going to fall for this stuff. Um, so Athens was the big city, and Paul was troubled by all the idolatry that he saw. Uh, he was preaching Jesus and Christ crucified, and he was preaching the resurrection. Uh, he would do this in the synagogues, and he would do this in the public market, which would have been very common in uh, Athens to have like public discourse on the street corner. So Paul had made such an impact so quickly that the people in Athens said, okay, we're going to give you one chance. Like We're all going to gather. You can speak your piece. Um, we need to know more about this God that you're supposedly telling us about. So then Paul gives, I think, what's probably like the best confession of the early church. I think Paul summarizes the gospel like really succinctly in this speech to the um, people in the public discourse in Athens. So he says, uh, men of Athens, I noticed that you were very religious in, in every way. For I was walking along, and I, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had the inscription on it, to an unknown God. Now this God, who, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He, gives, uh, he himself gives life and, and breath to everything and, and satisfies every need. For in him we live and move and exist. And some of your own poets ha have even said, we are his offspring. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere uh, to repent of their sins and, and turn to him. So when the gospel is presented like this, uh, there's going to be really one of two reactions. Um, people are going to laugh and roll their eyes, and that's what some of the people did. And then some are going to just be embraced by the truth, and that's what some people did. So he made an impact in Athens. He didn't stay there very long. So we see that uh, Corinth is going to be the next stop. So Athens uh, is right on the sea. Corinth is a very short trip. You can take it by land, which Paul most likely did. So he met a Jewish man in uh, Corinth. His name was Aquila. Aquila. So he would have uh, been a Jew who was living in Rome. Now Caesar had uh, deported all the Jewish people out of Rome, so they were all in displacement. Uh, he had an Italian wife, uh, Priscilla. So they were tent makers, and Paul actually uh, would do ministry part-time, and he would make tent, tents part-time to you know, help fund the operation. He became good friends with them. So Paul and, I'm sorry, Silas and Timothy finally caught up to Paul in Corinth, and it was here in Corinth they stayed a year and a half. This was the longest place they uh, stood, uh, stayed anywhere. Um, and he got so frustrated with the Jewish leaders again, like they just kept following him, and they weren't letting him like, do the things he wanted to do. So finally he just said, um, but when they opposed the Jewish leaders, opposed and insulted him, Paul, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles. Now, here's what this means for us. Like, it's not that Paul didn't love the Jewish people. He was a Jewish person. It's like, I only have so much time. I only have so much energy. I only have so much capacity. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to 
put that time, I'm going to invest that time and energy and, and creativity on where I can have the biggest impact. That's what he did there. You know, so at that point, he was committed to preaching to the Gentiles. Now, he stayed there for a year and a half. Go back to the map. There's one more stop. There's actually a couple short ones, but the biggest one is going to be in Ephesus where another uh, church was started. He took um, Aquila and Priscilla with them, and then they went back to Syria, and the second missionary journey was over. So let's just think about this journey. It was full of friends. It was full of uh, new churches. It was also full of uh, scars, and it was, was full of suffering. So I want to go back to the church in uh, Thessalonica. Um, there was two, redder, two letters written to the Thessalonian Christians. They are both written in Corinth. Um, they are both written probably in about 50 uh, A.D., so it would have been on this journey that Paul would have written back to the churches in uh, Thessalonica. Um, and what he was hearing is that these people were just, it was a tough time for them. You know, they were trying to faithfully live out the Gospels, and the Jewish leaders were giving them a hard time, and they were, they were suffering because of it. Um, now, near the end of uh, this journey, Paul writes this letter, and in the second letter, uh, the first chapter, the fourth verse, so he's just started the second letter. And I, I love what he says here. We proudly, like, the suffering church who's going through this hard time, and they're persevering anyway, uh, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and, and uh, faithfulness and all the persecutions and hardships that, that you are suffering. You know, he was inspired that they didn't quit, they continued. They aren't letting the circumstances win, uh, they're faithfully living despite the hand that's been, been dealt to them. Now, Paul gives them a promise, and this promise isn't just for them. This promise is for all of us because this letter isn't just for the Christians in Thessalonica who are suffering. This is a letter to all of us who are suffering. Now, all of us in this room, and there are absolutely no exceptions, um, we find ourselves at one, two, or at least uh, maybe even three of the places. Like we have suffered, we are suffering, and we will suffer. Like there's no way around that. Like if you're a human being, which you are, suffering is just going to be part of our story. You know, so he wrote this letter to the church so they wouldn't quit. He's writing this letter to us so that we're not going to quit that this life that God wants for us, it's right in front of us, and you know, don't let the pain, don't get, let the hardships get, get in the way of that. You know, he's saying to us, like, don't let the circumstances win. He's saying to us, live faithfully despite the, the, the hand that has been, been dealt to you. So then Paul makes a promise in, in verse seven, and he says, he, this is God, helps uh, you and us who are suffering. You know, we're not in this alone. Now, here's a few ways to suffer well that I get from the second missionary journey. Now, number one is this. Experiencing healing is not necessarily the same as, as being cured. Um, some pain you're just never going to get over. But what happens with the healing is you learn to live with it, and eventually you learn to live well with it. Now, for some of y'all, um, you're always going to remember the person that you were once married to. You're going to remember how you fell in love. You're going to remember the good times. Um, you'll remember the things that you know, took you your separate ways. 
Like you can't forget that, but you can learn to live and live well with it. Now for some of us, uh, we're always going to remember the loved ones that we have lost. You know, the smells, the sights, the sounds. You know, death is the ultimate inevitable suffering that all of us will one day face. Now, now Paul dealt with this. His life was never easy. At the end of uh, his second letter to the Corinthians, where he would have written this letter to the Thessalonians, um, there's some affliction that Paul has, and he doesn't tell us what it was. Doesn't even give us a hint. But he says, I, I've prayed, and he's writing this to the Corinthians. He says, I prayed three times that this be taken from me. And then Jesus answered, and he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in, in your weakness. You know, so Paul had this affliction. It, it never left him, but he learned to live with it, and he learned to live well with it. Some pain you will never get over, but God's grace is sufficient for us, and we can learn to live well with our pain. Now, number two um, is a thing that's not true. Um, so there's a phrase that says, time heals all wounds, and if you've been wounded deeply, you know that's not true. So here's like a, a better uh, recipe. Time plus nutrients equals reduced suffering. So look at Paul. He was beaten. He was, he was thrown in jail. Um, you know, he did some amazing things. But what did he do after, like, he was beaten up and he was thrown to jail? He, he went to Lydia's house. Now, the reason that he went to Lydia's house is because he knew that Lydia would encourage them. Um, he knew that that was the nutrition that he needed. He knew that time wasn't going to do it all by, him, by itself. Like, he needed those nu- nutrients. So if you think about it, like all these trees we've planted here, um, I think it's like over 700 of them now. Um, these trees uh, do not grow just with time. We can't just plant a tree out there and say, okay, in 10 years it's going to be a big tree. It needs the sun, it needs the soil, and it needs rain. Like, we're the same way. Like, we need time but we also need nutrients. You know, for some, like if you're injured, you go see a physical therapist. If you're uh, dealing with some emotional stuff, you go see a mental health provider. Uh, Maybe for some, it is to join a house church this fall and be part of a community. Uh, Maybe for some, it's like to reignite your prayer life. Maybe for some, it's to exercise. Like whatever it is, um, we will never be pain-free in this world, Um, but we can heal we can surely heal with time and with nutrients. The world is full of suffering, but I want you to know that the world is also full of people uh, who are overcoming it. And you can be one of those overcomers. Uh, number three is that healing best happens in community with others. So when outsiders ask me what makes this church work, um, every single time I say it's the people. Um, they love each other well. Now, Paul didn't do it alone. He uh, took uh, Silas, and they picked up Timothy, and there's uh, Aquila and Priscilla that they picked up along the way. They, they did their life together. He was smart enough to know that he couldn't do this, and he was smart enough to know that he shouldn't do this. Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia. Uh, he says, bear each other's burdens, uh, share each other's burdens, fulfill each other's burdens, and in this way, be obedient to the law of Christ. Now, I want you to hear this. Four of the most difficult words to string together in the English language are also four of the most important words that we can string together. 
And these words are, I need your help. Like, we need the nutrition. We need the community. We don't get better on our own. You know, it's, it's not a sign of weakness to say, I, I, it's not a sign of weakness to say I need your help. It's a sign of strength to say, I, I can't get through this on my own. I, I need your help. And if this is your story this week, and someone told me between the services, she says, I need your help. We talked about how the, the church can help her, and like it was this beautiful three-minute conversation. And I hope there's a lot more of those conversations this week that you have with, with various people. And the last thing is uh, healing best happens in community with God. So it best happens in community with others, and it best happens in community with God. Now, you have to know that God did not cause your pain. God did not cause your suffering. What God did is God created a world where, where beautiful things can happen and where bad things can happen, where terrific things can happen and where, where, where terrible things can happen too. Um, now, God wants to be present in our pain. He doesn't want us to not be aware of his presence. Like the psalmist says, the Lord is, is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose, whose spirits are crushed. You know, so friends, in our, our suffering, uh, depend on God and, and depend on each other. So Jesus was about to suffer. It was the last meal that he would uh, ever have. Even during this meal, he had to be suffering because uh, even though he was fully God, he was fully human as well. And Jesus had to be relationally suffering. I mean, imagine like saying goodbye to your 12 best friends uh, you know, all at one time. And Jesus, uh, he would suffer more in those 24 hours than he did in the, the previous 33 years. Um, Paul was aware of this suffering. I think it was the suffering of Christ that gave Paul the strength to have the faith and the faithfulness that he did. So at the meal, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and gave thanks. And he broke it in front of his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. And when he was doing that, he was telling them, for, for people in all three of those categories, people that have suffered, are suffering, will, su- will suffer, he's, he's telling them, when you come to me, when you pray, when, when you look to me for comfort, you're not coming to a God who doesn't know what you're going through. You're coming to a God who's been there, who's felt it, who's experienced it, who knows suffering firsthand. And as he passed that bread around, he said, everyone take a piece and eat it. And every time you do this, do so in remembrance of me. And it wasn't just remember what I taught you or, or remember being with me. He said, every time you eat this, when, when you're in the midst of that suffering, remember that I am with you in it too, that, that you're not walking alone. So as you come forward today and grab a piece of bread, whatever one of those three categories you're in today, that's what we're remembering, that, that God is with us in the midst of our suffering. Yeah, sometimes in the early church, they would call uh, the cup I'm holding the cup of suffering. Uh, Jesus said, this is my... Uh, blood that is poured out for you and the forgiveness of your sins. When you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. Yeah, we can remember uh, his suffering so that our suffering can be reduced. We can remember um, his pain that becomes our grace. You know, we remember that uh, Jesus is aware that life uh, isn't easy. He says, in this world, you'll have troubles. You know, but don't lose hope because I've overcome the world and I'm present with you. And what I pray this morning is that we can experience God's presence, that we can experience God's forgiveness, um, which leads us to God's salvation, which is the ultimate form of healing. So let us pray. 
God, we ask that you bless this bread, this juice, this meal that we're about to share. And um, we just come forward so grateful for what Jesus did for us, for the example he set on, on how to walk through suffering um, and the promise that he made that he's going to walk through our suffering with us. Guys, we come and eat this bread and, and drink this wine. Help us remember Jesus. Um, help us remember that he is with us, that he knows what we're going through firsthand. And God, most of all, remind us that because of Jesus' example, because of Jesus' suffering, that suffering is never the end of the road for us. Um, the end of the road is, is always hope and life and an eternal life with you. We ask this all in Jesus' name, and we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, so the table is open to everybody. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. Um, even the smallest uh, of us here today can uh, receive communion because God's grace is available to all. So if it's your first time with us, uh, I invite you and I encourage you to come forward and uh, take communion with the rest of us. The beauty of this is that we get to do this in community with each other. We get to do this in uh, community with God. You'll be given a piece of bread. Just simply uh, dip the bread into the juice, then you'll eat the bread that is uh, drenched in the juice. If you're on a gluten-free diet, we do have uh, gluten-free elements at uh, all of the tables. So uh, I encourage you now to come forward and uh, receive the Lord's Supper as one faith community. Trust what you say, that you're good. 
that walked in here this morning and are in the midst of suffering and, and felt like we were alone, we now get to walk out knowing that we're not only surrounded by a community of people, but we're in community with God. So thank you for joining us this morning, and we'll see you next Sunday at the Water's Edge. Give me faith, just what you say, and you're good, and your love is great. Hey. <laughs>